New on CuriosityStream, Darwin's theory of evolution, a scientific breakthrough, but 1920s Tennessee wasn't ready for it. It became the Bible versus evolution. Followed a heated trial that changed American education forever on Monkey in the Middle. And it's the country's deadliest highway. There were something like 178 accidents in a 10-year period. Don't miss the most dangerous road in America. Watch now on CuriosityStream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com. Ever since my interaction with the mime yesterday, I haven't stopped wondering about what sets the not actors apart from one another. After a while, the numbers scratched into Dale's skin came back to me. Three eights. I've started to believe that three is the number of pretenders, of actual pretenders, that is, those who react to iron. I'm not sure what exactly that means in regards to upper management, since I can hardly imagine the mime being a part of it. But if my theory is correct, that means that there are two more of them. I didn't know what I would achieve by figuring out which ones are which, but I was sure it would help somehow. The whole iron thing would indicate that contrary to my former belief, not all of the not-actors used to be humans who got turned. I think that some of them, the three in question, are and always have been of another nature, that they never were human to begin with. It still feels weird to type it out, but I guess that would make them fairies. Or maybe something different yet. That's at least what I was thinking before my conversation with Dale at work today. Not that it would matter anymore, but first things first. The dancing squid-beaked girl, the sugar plum fairy, was named after the ballet dance by Tchaikovsky. This is something that Maxine told me when we first met. She also confided in me that she had never met her former handler. To this day, she doesn't know anything about them. This greatly unsettles both of us, seeing as even though they could of course have merely quit or gotten fired, it's well possible that they didn't make it. Thinking back to what happened to Joshua, it's more than likely that a creature as aggressive as the fairy might have gotten rid of her pesky actor entirely. I believe I mentioned that Maxine and I were looking for a new enclosure for the Sugar Plum Fairy a while ago. Mitchell's dad... His name is Mike, by the way. Met with us today to seal the deal about the trailer he had been offering us. We inspected it, and it really is very nice and spacious, as well as a lot more modern than that old shack she currently lives in. It offers enough room for her to move about and dance whenever she wants to. We transported the trailer to the park, with the help of both Mitchell and his father. Once we were there... And Dale did as promised, and paid as part of the price for the enclosure, Maxine and I covering the rest. After Mike had left and we had set up the fairy's new home in the back of the candy section, the four of us began to discuss how we should rehouse the not-actor. On a side note, I truly admire how Dale can keep up his douchey act in front of my colleagues. You wouldn't think the two of us had ever talked privately from the way he treats me when we're not alone. I think the correct word is aloof. Then again, I did catch him smirk at me when we were installing the lock on the door of the new trailer, and Mitchell ever so gracefully managed to trip over the entrance step. I guess it's not much of a surprise, though. If I were Dale, I'd probably want to uphold my reputation as well. We should take things slow, Mitchell suggested. Let's give her the time she needs. She'll come around sooner or later. Nonsense. Maxine replied, shaking her head. 
She's been on that stage dancing for the last three weeks. She paused to think for a second. Actually, I think it's been even longer than that. Well, my point is that she's not going to get curious about the trailer. Like, ever. We have to introduce her to it somehow. I mean, if she doesn't learn that it's better than the old one, what's the point? Maybe we should capture her and lock her in for like a day or two. She'll notice eventually that it isn't so bad, and then she'll get used to it. We just need to, you know, push things a bit, I explained, looking at my co-workers' faces expectantly. Sounds good, Dale said. You think we can do it? I asked. My manager chuckled and shook his head. Hell no. But it's going to be fun watching you three get chased by Madam Squidbeak, so do go ahead. Actually, I think Leia's right. It'll be hard catching her, but we've done it before. We'll manage, Maxine said, sounding affirmative. Dale shrugged. Hey, this was your brain-dead idea. I'll stay out of it. You ladies can do whatever you think works. But, uh, just try not to make too big of a mess, okay? I don't really want to bother the cleaning staff at the moment. They're probably at home enjoying their leave. They don't want to deal with your guts all over the place. He explained casually. I knew he was exaggerating. You're just trying to scare us, Mitchell remarked coldly. Dale laughed and patted him on the back. Of course I am. Then, just before turning to leave, he added, Or am I? We heard him giggle to himself as he walked off. Ugh, I know Dale's just being a dick, but he got me. Maxine admitted, shuddering. Kind of makes me wonder what happened to my predecessor. Don't worry about it. Let's just try and figure out how to go about this, I told her, squeezing her shoulder reassuringly. The three of us made our way over to the Sugar Plum Fairy stage. She was dancing as rapidly as ever, not paying us onlookers any mind. We stood and stared at her for a little while, each of us contemplating about the best way to get her down there and into her new home. It'd be best if we could lure her away somehow, I remarked. She's only dangerous when her beak is out. It'd be perfect if it didn't have to come to that. She feels threatened so easily, though, Maxine argued. A net would come in handy right about now. Maxine and I turned to look at Mitchell. What? I'm just saying if we could catch her like a fish or something. His voice trailed off when Maxine rolled her eyes and I shook my head at him. Suddenly, I remembered something. My hand wandered up to the locket dangling from the iron chain around my neck. I carefully took it off and slowly began approaching the sugar plum fairy. I felt my co-workers' confused stares on me, but swallowed my apprehension, and with some effort, heaved myself up onto the stage. I was standing right next to the not-actor now. She still wasn't paying me any mind. Fingers cramped around the necklace. I lifted my arm and held it out in front of me. Her reaction was instantaneous. She spun around and stared at me with her dark, large human eyes. She was still standing on her tiptoes, frozen in place and glaring at the locket, seemingly in disbelief. I took a step towards her. The locket swung forward and missed her face by mere inches. The sugar plum fairy stumbled backwards, a motion so atypically ungraceful and inept that I almost felt a bit sorry for startling her. Then slowly... The skin of her face began to tear. A large, disgusting red rip formed right in its middle, parting her mouth and nose from her eyes and forehead. She wasn't even using her hands to take it off this time. The two pieces of skin simply peeled off on their own, and with them, her lips and eyes. 
The gross, fleshy mass hit the floor with a splat, and I watched as the squid beak began to form on her newly exposed face. She slowly opened it and let out a low, throaty hiss. I took another step forward, holding out my locket in front of me like a shield. She once again hissed and continued to back off. Step by step, I drove her closer to the edge of the stage until she was finally forced to jump off. Mitchell and Maxine had quick-wittedly positioned themselves below her, and once she was on the ground, they both grabbed either of her arms and began to drag her off to the new trailer. I quickly put my necklace back on and hopped off the stage, hurrying after them. Together we shoved the hissing and struggling not-actor into her new enclosure. Maxine locked the door behind her before turning to face me. What was that just now? she asked sharply. What's with that necklace? I was about to explain to her, but changed my mind. Maybe it was better to keep this to myself, as long as I wasn't sure of where this would leave me yet. I just murmured something incoherent in response. We waited outside of the enclosure for a few minutes. From the sounds of it, the sugar plum fairy was throwing herself against the door in an attempt to break free. But she soon stopped and the noises from inside the trailer ceased. There's a tiny window in the back of it, and a quick glance inside revealed that she had started to dance again. Later that day, I was heading over to Dale's office. I wanted to ask him about the three-eighths again, since I was apparently way too stupid to understand what it meant. Sure, the Sugar Plum Fairy seemed to have proven to be Faye, but something about it didn't feel right, like I was missing something really important. Plus, I felt like I couldn't see the woods for the trees, if you get what I mean. I've mentioned it before, but I still wasn't sure what knowing about upper management would get me. I found Dale in a nervously excited state. He was pacing to and fro in his small office, mumbling to himself. He hadn't bothered to shut the door, but I didn't want to startle him by barging in either. So I just stood in the doorway for a while, awkwardly staring at him. When he finally noticed me, he nearly jumped, but quickly regained his composure and urged me to come inside. He closed the door behind us. Something wrong? He stammered. Yeah, well, I, I got a question, but first, what's going on? Dale bit his lip, then looked me in the eyes and slowly reached up to rest his hands on my shoulders. They know. What? I stared at him in confusion. What do you mean? I thought they were going to leave it be. I thought they weren't going to bother. But they know. They know and they're angry. My manager's voice sounded almost desperate. I thought you could figure it out in time, but it's too late. They know. Yeah, um, about that. I mean, you said finding out about all this would help, but I don't really understand how. Not removing his hand from my shoulders, Dale leaned in, and in a hushed tone, began to explain. It's all about knowing who they are and what they are. Knowledge is power here. If two people make a contract, there are always certain stakes. Don't ever think both sides are equal. One of them always holds the crappier end of the bargain. However, if there's a third party, a third person, who knows about the contract and the stakes in the bargain, that'd mean that they'd have power too. At least in this case. And maybe they could pressure the one with the better conditions into making things less awful for the other ones. You wanted me to blackmail upper management? I inquired with wide eyes. Yes, 
basically, but it's too late for that. Uh, I, they just, they just talk to me and uh, they always talk to me. I hate it when they talk to me. His voice trailed off and he took a deep breath. Tomorrow was the last day you're coming into work. That's so you can have some more time with Mr. Scratch. You like him and I know that. So you have one day to say goodbye properly, but that's it. He swallowed hard. I'm firing you. I stared at him in shock for a few seconds, uncertain of what to say. What about Nathan? I finally stammered. Screw Nathan, Dale whined. But from the look of his face, I could tell that he regretted it almost instantly. I'm serious. This is about you and whether you're going to survive. I thought you could help, but you can't. Please, don't try anything else. I don't want to have your blood on my hands. I could feel tears begin to form in my eyes. Dale, I whispered, but my throat felt too dry to say anything else. My manager looked at me, his gaze genuinely, deeply concerned and pleading. Then he leaned in closer, wrapped his arms around my shoulders, and pulled me into a hug. I stood there, sobbing into his shirt. Thank you, he breathed. You were trying to help, and I appreciate it. It just didn't work out. Is this my fault? I whimpered. This was so incredibly sudden. I felt like a total crybaby again, but I simply couldn't keep it in. Where did I mess up? Dale's arms tightened around me. His voice broke as he muttered. You didn't mess up. You tried your best, and it's my fault. It's all. It's all my fault. It was selfish to try and make you... Make you do this. I get that now. I'm sorry. I didn't know what else to say, what else to tell him. I couldn't believe it. We stood there for around another two minutes before Dale let go of me. I've never seen him get so emotional before. I remember I cried all the way home. I could barely see the road through the tears in my eyes. Wouldn't surprise me if I ran over a stop sign or something. Either way, I'm at home now, and I've calmed down a little bit. At least I stopped crying. I think the realization just hasn't quite started to set in yet. Again, I cannot believe that this is it. For the past three years, this job has been everything to me. I guess I'll just have to enjoy my last day with the sock puppet tomorrow. It will take some time to get over this.